And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined as always by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, and Ted Wynn. The Raiders here on Wednesday just wrapped up the second of two joint practices with the New England Patriots. And uh, by all accounts, uh, did pretty well. Uh, had some uh, some dominating stretches against the Patriots. They'll get ready for Friday's final preseason game. And uh, then it'll be time to start setting that 53-man roster by the time we talk to you next week. Uh the Raiders will have their initial 53-man roster set. That's due next Tuesday, August 30th. But Vic, Tashawn, you guys have been there at Henderson at the practice facility, as uh, Bill Belichick called it, the, the Taj Mahal of football facilities for these practices. And, I, I mean, I, I know the, the reports have been pretty glowing, uh, especially day one, a lot of big plays. And uh, I know the the way they set up the practices, they, they try to keep you guys from being able to see too much. But uh, still, it seems like the impressions were – that uh, of the Raiders, uh, you know, got the better of the Patriots. Yeah, I think the uh, the passing game looked really, really good. Devontae Adams was uh, unstoppable. I think uh, Hunter Renfro had uh, two big days. Mac Hollins had some big plays, and this is without Darren Waller. And obviously, Derek Carr kind of uh, could do whatever he wanted. I just think it's a it's obviously a great sign that um, it shows what the offense is capable of. And I think the defense did okay. The defense um, is harder to see, but also they did okay as far as the defensive line. You got some good pressure and some good uh, some good run stuffs. I think uh, towards the end of both days, uh, the two-minute defense was not great for the Raiders. But uh, overall, it was a very positive, if not uh, – wasn't like a hard-hitting affair. It was kind of a tame on that front. But uh, yeah, both teams got what they wanted to get done. They had scripts. They had you know what they wanted to do matchup-wise and – open their playbook up a little bit. So I think uh, the Raiders are very happy with how the two days went. Were a lot of the big plays on seven of seven, seven on seven, or was it on 11 on 11? And was, were they, you know, calling out sacks on 11 on 11 or are they just like running guys past a quarterback? Basically, Ted wants to know, like, is this actual, actually fake because was the offensive line involved? Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm asking. Honestly, we, uh, for like people that haven't been like, following along like so we have to stay on like the far field like and it's like around this media tent area and there's three fields at the facility and so they would go to like the middle field which is you know a field away but then they would have a line of like the Patriots players like standing in a row so you really couldn't see anything besides like the last 10 yards on either side of the field and so that's why like every time somebody scores a touchdown everybody tweets it out because it's the only thing people can really 
see. You can't see anything in the middle. So like any sort of play that happened in between somebody scoring, probably didn't really see too much of it. And so that's why like I haven't really commented on like how the either line has performed, offensive line or defensive line, because it's like I never see them really that much. And so I, I really don't know about the the sack portion of that. I mean, obviously they, you know, as Vic said, these weren't nearly as physical as the Rams practices last year. Like there was no tackling to the ground intentionally or really that much physical contact. So, I mean, but it was a, it was padded practices. So I'm sure we would have been able to evaluate the all line if we could have seen them. But uh, for most of the big plays, I would say, or, or touchdowns, it happened. A lot of it was like either like one-on-one red zone drills or like seven on seven red zone drills or seven on seven drills. Like, you know, we we did see a handful of touchdowns in 11 on 11 just from big passes to Devontae and, and Matt Collins had one himself today. But, you know, it wasn't like they were just scoring on them every time in 11 on 11. So uh, it was kind of a mixed bag. But I would say overall, regardless of which drill it was in, the Raiders receivers really stood out against the, the Patriot uh, cornerbacks. And, you know, in, in the 7 on 7 and 11 on 11, like even without Darren Waller out there, they were still having a lot of issues covering Devontae Adams in particular. And also Hunter Renfro had a, had a really big day today as well. And so, you know, we've been talking about it, you know, throughout training camp that we really like their receiver depth. And, and that just, you know, it showed itself, you know, going against the Patriots. And so that was probably my biggest takeaway from from what we could see. Um, I didn't notice any any turnovers from, from Derek Carr. You know, he I think he, he almost had a pick today in red zone drill. Um, but one of the receivers, like, broke it up. Like, the, the cornerback would have had a pick, but the receiver did a good job of getting back in there and getting his hand in there. And so it was really a, a pretty clean day for the passing offense. Um, you know, since they weren't live anyway, it's kind of hard to make a lot of evaluations from the run game. But the, the pass game looks as, as good as advertised based off of, of what we saw against the Patriots. We've mentioned Darren Waller, and, yeah, I know everyone's been wondering what's going on with him. And, and Josh McDaniels was asked on Wednesday about him, and you know, are you concerned about him? He says he's not concerned. But he also wouldn't commit to Waller being available for week one. Um, yeah, we know that he doesn't want to give any information on these injuries. He's not talking timelines uh, about anybody. I mean, Brandon Parker, we, we've gotten indications. We think that's a long-term injury. But every every injury, doesn't matter what it is, um, McDaniels is talking about him in the same way. But I think it's at least somewhat notable that he declined to speak it with any confidence about him being out there for week one. I mean, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but uh, they don't want to commit to any kind of timeline on him. Yeah, I don't think, you know, I mean, he hasn't committed on timelines anyway. I think in general, like, uh, it reminds me of when Vic asked him uh, earlier last week following the game um, against the Vikings, you know, would, did he expect Jonathan Hankins and the Pup guys to come back before week one? And he kind of gave the same answer and then he robbed their practice the next day, you know, so... I wouldn't really like too much into it, but definitely something amiss because he, you know, he came back to practice. I thought he looked fine, but, you know, hamstring injuries are tricky and he hasn't been back since. And, you know, I don't think they're just going to bring him back for one practice randomly just because unless, you know, he tweets something or something else happened. You know, we are about two and a half weeks out for the season. So there's definitely time, um, you know, particularly if he didn't, you know, I don't want to speculate, but if he, you know, worsen the injury to a certain degree, then that's a different story. But if it was just sort of a, a tweak thing and they were playing it safe in this kind of a competitive setting, you know, they do have a couple of weeks for him to get back right in time for the season to be here. But I can't blame people and they probably should be concerned at this point. I mean, he hasn't really been practicing consistently for about a month. You know, I think I don't think he's a player that because he didn't practice, he's not going to look like Darren Waller when he plays. But, you know, kind of the longer this goes on, you know, people you know, the question maybe, you know, is it is his contract situation involved? You know, 
if he had a different contract with, with that hamstring feel better quicker, those kind of things. Like it's kind of hard to say that off the top of the head, but you know, people start to wonder the longer this thing goes off. I do think they have to address the contract. I mean, I've, you don't have to give them a, a long-term deal, I guess, if, right now if you can't or don't want to right now. But you can't play in a non-guaranteed deal. So I'm sure – I mean, I know he, he wants to play. He's a team player. He's not going to, like, put his deal first. But at the same time, you can't take risks as an athlete, which puts you at, you know, at financial harm if you get hurt. So I don't know if that's part of it. I think there's a little bit of that to it. I'm sure – I think there's negotiations going on. I would imagine he's not going to rush back. Uh, for a preseason workout with the Patriots uh, with possible contract stuff that's being worked on. So I do think he's hurt. I do think it's not that serious from what I've heard. I do think the contract probably has a little bit to do with um, him not uh, being at practice. Yeah, and I remember last year the last front office guaranteed his contract. I can't remember exactly what time of year they did that, but it was not guaranteed last year initially too, and then they guaranteed it. So uh, if that hasn't been done, I'm a little bit surprised at that. That hasn't been done on their end. The veterans' contract automatically gets guaranteed once they're on the roster week one. So I mean, it's you know, and at this point, I mean, you know, there's there's injury guarantees and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, if he were to get like hurt, but it's 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 the fact is that like you don't have money guaranteed into the future. It's not so much really about this season. I mean, they can tell him right now, yeah, your contract's guaranteed for this season because it, it essentially is. I mean, if he if he's injured. His contract's guaranteed. If he's on the roster week one, his contract's guaranteed. They're not cutting him right now. Um, they can't cut him right now because he's hurt. It's about not really having that that future money guaranteed is is typically what it comes down to. And you know, I mean, and obviously we know that he's severely underpaid among NFL tight ends. You know, one like one kind of thing I you know when Travis Kel- Kelsey got a reworked deal, it wasn't really even reworked. I, I was wondering if that might be some kind of a model for the Raiders to look at with Darren Waller. Where they basically pulled three million dollars of Kelsey's future salary, like take it from his last year, put it onto this year's deal. And I wonder if something like that could be done with Waller, where it's like we're not really adding new money, but we're just taking like three million dollars from next year's salary, putting it on this year's salary, and then come next off season when you're on the final year of your deal, that's when you work out the extension or or you trade him, do what, whatever you want. Um, you know, that was one thing I I was wondering if that that could be a, a model just to like. I get it as an organization, you kind of want to hold firm to your stance that if a guy has two years left on his deal, we don't want to renegotiate. And I'm sure that's where, as a new regime, you don't want to you know, set that precedent right away of giving a guy with two years left on his deal, even as underpaid as he is. So I wonder if there, there's some kind of compromise there and that could just kind of help the situation along. You got to imagine it's a little tougher with a David Najoko deal too, four years, $56.7 million. You know, that resets the market and... You know, that's probably a negotiating point he has if they are negotiating right now, too. Yeah, that's the thing is Waller's salary is so low that it's like, even if you give me some money from next year, it's still like, I mean, it's better, obviously, but it's still like, I mean, okay. Like, I'm still severely underpaid, you know? I mean, it's just like, I think if they if you add them both up, the, the full amounts of both, it's like 13 or $12.5 million, which is still, I think, would that be less than Njoku or right about? Four years, 56. I can't do math um, right now. <laughs> yeah so it's even then it's like they give him three million dollars and it's like all right now you're making nine million dollars during waller he's like okay there was one line today josh's answer about his status i thought was interesting he said that you know darren knows he's a big part of this team which 
I don't know what that uh, is. That message for Darren. I'm not sure why you throw it in there, but I thought it was an interesting thing to say because it's it's pretty obvious. I mean, so ask. I'm talking about a guy's coming back from an injury. Why you have to say that? Uh, to me, I thought it was interesting. If, if you know, whatever, I'm always jaded, but um, I thought it was an interesting line. All right, let's get to some of the other news of the week. Uh, Kenyon Drake Raiders released him, and you know this was a guy that. You know, when they signed him last year to the two-year, $11 million deal, our eyebrows raised. Not because he wasn't a, a good player and wasn't it, we didn't expect him to be a, a good backup to Josh Jacobs, even though uh, we certainly can question how they ended up using him. He was supposed to be a guy that was going to catch passes out of the backfield, and then they just didn't do that. But that's beside the point. But we all knew it was, it was a deal, two years, $11 million, that $3 million was last year, and then $8 million this year, where essentially it was going to be you know, more expensive for him to you know, be off the roster than on. And, we saw his role was, was not going to be there. They, they draft Zimmer White. They bring in Amir Abdullah. They bring Brandon Bolden over from the Patriots. They're just, I mean, if he was going to have a role, it was going to be very minor. With the contract, money he was guaranteed, no way they were going to be able to trade him. So they release him. And, and I mean, ultimately, like, this is what you can do when you're a new regime. You can release a guy that was a bad contract by the former regime. It's unfortunate that it didn't work out. Restructuring his deal may be, like, one of the, like, first like missteps by this front office because, you know, now he has like, I believe it's around $4 million dead cap hit next uh, next offseason. And that's not, you know, backbreaking or anything. But you, if you're going to cut the guy, you'd rather just eat that money right now, especially considering they have, you know, around $20 million in cap space. Like it wouldn't be ideal, but they could take that money now and just get it off the books and not deal with it down the line. And so ended up restructuring him and splitting his money in two years and then cutting him. It ended up hurting him a little bit. And then maybe they did that to try to get his salary down this year to try to make him more tradable. But even then, you're probably still going to have to owe some of that money in the future because the team isn't going to take all of that $8 million, right? And so ended up being a bad move by them. But I understand from the football standpoint, I mean, he's, you know, near, nearing 30 for a running back coming off a major injury. Um, you know, he drives the mere white, you know, so – and his role really had to be like a third down back role, pass catching back role. And obviously Josh McDaniels, he's, he's coached, you know, Brandon Bolton for a long time. And, and there's a lot of familiarity there and trust there. And, and, and so it's not, not shocking that he couldn't, you know, win that, that third running back role, but it's like a little bit of a, a cap hit as a result of it. Yeah. When they signed Amir Abdullah, nobody had any kind of reaction. We're like, oh, well, that's what, whatever that is. But clearly uh, McDaniels is a big fan of his and he came in and clearly, um, had a role pretty early on, and I think was probably ahead of Drake from the get-go. So and I think he kind of get that going through uh, the preseason and through camp. So I think if we're kidding Drake, you may have seen the writing on the wall at some point early on, like, you know, this is not going to be easy for me to make this roster. They wanted to trade him. I think that was uh, the option one. But again, a guy coming off surgery who's making a good deal of money is probably not a guy you want to trade for. I think especially older running backs aren't really hot these days. So I think he'll probably find a team at some point. But um, yeah, they had to cut him because they weren't going to keep him on their roster. If they were able to trade him and get a seventh round pick for Nick Mullins, just give Ziggler the GM year of the year award. <laughs> seventh round pick is moving. <laughs> conditional seventh. Yeah, they get the conditional seventh round pick for Nick Mullins. Uh, he has to be on the roster, active roster one game, which probably will happen. Like Jimmy said, it might be more than uh, they get the Niners get for Jimmy Garoppolo. So probably will be at this point. I mean, I would think the only downside of that trade is we had talked about it before that obviously, um, yes, yeah, Stidham was going to win the backup job, and we kind of saw uh, Mullins as a potential high value practice squad quarterback. That you know, I mean, but again, like Vic, you've made the point for years now. Did the Raiders really need to invest that much in their backup quarterbacks with as durable as Derek Carr is? He's missed, what, two games his whole career. So, I mean, it's 
he would have been a nice guy to keep around as your third quarterback on the practice squad if if he was willing. But the fact that there was a trade market out there for him obviously shows that they would not have been able to put him on the practice squad. If he if he had been cut, he would have been picked up on waivers. So that high value practice squad guy, that's kind of out the window because the, the trade market is evidence that that wouldn't have been able to be the case. I would think so. I mean, I think I always pick up a veteran guy if somebody gets waived, but I would think he's shown enough in terms of improving and getting the offense down where he's a guy you can have a practice squad and hopefully can develop and to be a guy that can be a backup you know, years ahead. Who would have thought he'd be on NFL roster watching Matt Cow last year? It's pretty impressive. He's not on, he's not not yet, on the I mean, NFL roster Well, yet. a chance, I mean, chance. Not there a yet. chance. Not there yet. Practice squad. NFL practice squad. Not there yet. He's, he's okay in the, in the games he's played, in preseason games. He looked all right. I mean, he's had some problems with his little his, you know, inner clock in his head. Sometimes he forgets to uh, to throw the ball. But otherwise, he's made some plays. He's got some athletic ability. So not, not a bad guy to you know, put in your practice squad and hope you can uh, give him you know, some development, some training. I mean, when you see him run around out there, uh, like we've seen in preseason games, it shows you that he's a good scout team, could be a good scout team guy for you. When you're going up against teams that have that athletic mobile quarterback and you need to prepare for that, I think what we've seen from Garpers in the preseason games is, yeah, he, he's going to be a, a good scout team quarterback for you. Uh, we'll be able to show you some of those looks. And uh, this is probably the most we will ever spend on a podcast breaking down a potential practice squad scout team quarterback. Only on State of the Nation. <laughs> breaking down Chase Garbers, baby. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Friday night, final preseason game, finally put an end to these meaningless games. What do we want to see? I mean, what roster spots are, are still kind of out there on the line? I mean, it's Josh McDaniels. He's not going to tell us how much um, he's going to let that, that offensive line group go. I mean, you know, it seems like Dylan Parham is maybe taking over John Simpson as the starting left guard. Um, started in the last preseason game and just been starting over him in practice. It would seem pretty obvious they're going to go Jermaine Illuminor at right tackle and Alex Leatherwood's going to be a, a guy off the bench. Um, you know, we kind of have a little more clarity, we think, on Brandon Parker being out for a while. We don't really know about Thayer Munford. So, I mean, how much do you think we're going to see of that offensive line group? And, and what are some of the other players we want to see other you know, kind of roster battles? I still think we'll see the interior interior guys just because I don't – even though Dylan, Dylan Parham started and he's been starting over him in practice this week, I still think it's kind of unsettled a little bit between – that the three guard kind of rotation of him, John Simpson and Lester Cotton, who had a, a rough game last game, you know, I think Andre James is pretty much, you know, they keep working for him at center. I think Andre is, is going to be the starting center. So it's really those two guard spots outside of right tackle, really right tackle. I mean, probably not even the competition at this point. Like we, we're pretty sure that Illuminor is going to be the guy, you know, so those two guard spots are really the only spots that are kind of 
of intrigue. And I, I don't think any of those guys have been that great so far to where they, they don't have to play in the final preseason game to kind of continue to prove themselves. Outside of that, it's mostly, you know, kind of depth spots, you know, uh, who the third tight end might be behind Waller and Foster Moreau. I mean, I thought Jacob Hollister might be the guy, but he's been out with with a while for a while with an injury. They played all three of their other tight ends uh, pretty early on the last preseason game. Jesper Horstead, Nick Bowers, and uh, Fotheringham, and so seeing maybe if one of those guys can make it as a third tight end if Jacob Hollister isn't able to get back. Third pass rusher is something that's still unsettled. You know, they they signed uh, Jordan Jenkins last week, and he immediately you know got hurt in the first his first preseason game is on IR, and so that's back to being. Pretty much open competition between Malcolm Kuntz, um, Tashawn Bauer, and um, Clee Farrell came back for practice this week. And so seeing if he can earn a roster spot here as well. And so more so rotational positions like that. Linebacker, you know, I think it's pretty clear the top three linebackers are are Denzel Perriman, Jayon Brown, Devon Diablo. But you figure they'll at least keep four, maybe five linebackers uh, just for depth purposes and special teams. And Two undrafted rookies, Darian Butler and Luke Masterson, have kind of been jockeying for position in there. So, you know, a lot of guys, that, not not, any, not too many starters, but the guys that as the season goes on and injuries inevitably happen or people don't perform well may become more relevant later on is kind of what, and I don't think that's too atypical for most teams going into the final preseason game, but those are some of the, the spots in particular for the Raiders. Is it possible that Leatherwood is playing for a roster spot on Friday? Uh, if he doesn't play well, he gets cut. Because I think, um, if you look at it, I mean, to me, it's a, the warning, biggest warning. Obviously, he hasn't played well. He's gotten worse uh, over the preseason. But I think for me, the biggest warning sign is that they've moved everybody else around the line. Everybody else has played, you know, a little guard, a little tackle, maybe a little stress versatility. But for a guy who played guard last year, he's not played guard at all this preseason or training camp. His sole focus has been to get better at right tackle, and he's gotten worse. So he's not this regime's guy. He's the last regime's guy. We talked about that earlier as far as when the you know, previous regime makes mistakes. It's not that it's not really on you. So I wonder if a guy who's struggling, if you only be right now at this point a backup tackle for you, is going to be a guy to keep. I think he has to play better this week. I think he has to have his confidence to get a boost because – he clearly was a mess last week. So I wonder if that's at all on the radars as we look at that game. The dead money is just so crazy. I'm cutting like a first round pick this early. It'd be like, I think it's like it's 8 million this year, 4 million next year. And like, while well, he's been bad, like I feel like somebody would throw you something for like a first round pick. A guy who was a first round pick last year who's physically talented like he is and just seems to have like confidence, more so like mental, technical kind of issues. Like somebody, the Patriots might throw you like a late round pick for that kind of a guy because that's like a classic Patriots guy to reform. But eating 11 mil is kind of a little bit crazy to me. I don't like They have a little cap space to like eat, I guess, but I think they would rather use that to maybe go get a right tackle if they need to or you know, another position that pops up or something like that. That just seems like too much, too much money. Yeah, I mean, you think if they decide he's out of their plan, you would think, I mean, there's somebody else that scouted him in the process. Maybe probably didn't like him as a first rounder, right? But there are other coaches, other teams out there that probably liked him as a second rounder, late second rounder, mid second rounder, whatever, that at least jump on the fact like, well, all right. Because the funny thing is like, we spent a lot of time here panicking over the right tackle situation. In my role, editing like multiple teams, like, Every team hates their right tackle. Like, there are literally, like, five good right tackles probably in this league. Like, every team hates their right tackle. I mean, the Chargers have, like, you know, loaded up with, like, first-round picks at at left tackle, at right guard, you know, spent a ton of money on on their center. 
And it's just the one battle all camp has been right tackling. Everybody hates their right tackle. You would figure they, they could get a little something for him. They would love to trade him, obviously, but like in case they can't trade him, maybe they look at cutting him. I, just, I don't know right now if they have any faith in the guy. Can you play the guy and have any faith that you won't get a quarterback killed? I'm not sure they have that faith right now in him. So, yeah, ideally they can trade him. You're right, smart team. Probably has a second-round grade in the guy. Hey, he's a big dude. We can work with him. And that probably is the way it would go. But if once they decide, he's not going to be in their plans. But I just wonder. They have to see more from him. I think this is game for him. Is, a, is kind of a big test to make to at least prove to them that, yeah, he was in good shape. Yeah, he's worked hard as a good kid, but he's, he's got to reverse the momentum he has going right now because he's definitely on the downward slide these last few weeks. They do have that all that extra cap space, so it is it is one of those where it's like, ideally, you want to be using cap space to improve your team, but when you're in the first year of your regime, sometimes it is about just clearing out players that you don't like that aren't going to work for you, and maybe that's what they end up using that cap space on. I don't know. I have him burning all kinds of cafes. I have him probably, you know, I mentioned Leatherwood. I have him Cleve Farrell. I think some big trouble this this next couple of weeks. I have him getting rid of a lot of the previous regime's uh, mistakes. Ten mil, just to, I don't know, man. I got I got to find. I mean, he's getting ten mil. I got I got to find something to do, man. To quote the great Kenya Drake, the Raiders are paying me no matter what. Hey, man, you got to find special teams. I'm finding some kind of role. I'm getting that ten mil to work out of him. I, I, nah, man. <laughs> You're not going to get that money worth uh, of what you uh, paid for him. So, again, That's I just don't know, I don't know if this new regime really has any plans for him. I think, I mean, he's been hurt, but he came back this week. We'll see. How, I imagine he'll play a lot in this game Friday, I would think. Yeah, he has to, I think. Like the guys you mentioned on the D-line, like Bowers had a good camp. Kuntz is a guy who's flashes speed. So there's guys, oh, they have a ton of tackles. He won't play inside for this team, I don't think. So, I don't know what his role is going to be, I mean, on the, on the squad at, at this point. But... You're right. It's invested money, but as far as the team, the project, what the defense are going to do, and role players, what role is he going to have? I talked to uh, Mitchell Schwartz, the f- former right tackle of the, the Chiefs, about Leatherwood today, and he thought a lot of his issues come from his, his hands and where he places them and, and how he uses his hands. And you know, it seems like something that's an easy fix, but it's been an issue for him since Alabama. So you know, I, I think. Maybe it's worth trying to develop him and continue to develop him that tackle, you know, sitting behind Illuminor for a little while longer and to see if you could have that kind of breakthrough moment. So I, I don't think he's going to end up starting the season just because it just looks like he has some no confidence right now. But maybe if he takes a, you know, a back seat and just kind of really work on these issues, there's a little hope for him because, you know, it's a long season and eventually he might have to get plugged back in if, if Parker, you know, is going to be out for a while. Yeah, I will say, I think the Parker injury and the Munford injury, we'll know how serious that is, but they may buy him some time. They may buy him some time to be on the roster until those guys are ready, but uh, I clearly don't see him being a part of the long-term plans for McDaniels and Ziegler. I don't get why they don't at least try him at guard, just because, like, I mean, we saw Lester Cotton last game. I mean, he's not, he doesn't look great. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Like Leatherwood, he wasn't. He also wasn't great at right guard last year, but he was better than he was at, at right tackle. And it just seems like he's a guard. I don't know. I don't know. If Ted has different thoughts there, but I think I think he'd be better off if they moved him back inside. I mean, if you're not going to play him outside, if he's he's essentially the fourth right tackle because they, Parker over him, Munford was over him, Illuminar is over him. So if he's your fourth option at right tackle, you might as well play him somewhere else because clearly you just don't think he could play right tackle. So only putting him at right tackle, I just don't really don't get why they're so locked in on keeping him just there. If you have a real big at need at guard where you know you think he's going to be better than the guy you have there, 
then you, then you move him. But again, if you are, you think Cotton could be a plus starter or you know above average starter, then you know you continue to try to develop Leatherwood at tackle because that's the spot they see him at as obviously. Yeah, but just going off of what I've seen from Cotton, he don't look like that. So like, I don't I don't think he's that great. And like John Simpson. You know, he's he's lost – he didn't stand out as being, like, noticeably bad or anything in the preseason. But if he's lost ground to Dylan Parham, clearly they don't think too much of him right now. So if you're absolutely out on him at right tackle, which, which it seems like they are. I mean, they, they benched him for – to put Jackson Barton in the game, the last preseason game. Like, he might as well try him somewhere else, you know. And we discussed it. The whole thing could be knocked off kilter because they may sign one or two guys off way with yeah, a guard and tackle. Yeah, so that true. could affect the whole thing as far as who makes the roster. I think that's probably the ideal is you get a veteran guy you can plug in at both those spots, guard and, and right tackle. But, uh, again, uh, I'm not sure who's going to be available, who they're looking at, who they like. But to me, it's still a key area they have to address. I guess one benefit is they're, they're not really looking at too much of a roster squeeze on the offensive line where they can probably carry – guys like Mumford and Parker on the roster on cut down day and then drop them onto IR when they, you know, if they go out and bring somebody else in from, from outside. So uh, that's one benefit is those guys should be able to like pretty easily put them on the roster as one of the eight or nine offensive linemen. And then, uh, and then they can uh, go ahead and drop them on IR and they can get them back at some point. Let's talk about what else we want to see on Friday night. We mentioned Clee Furl. I mean, we, we need to see him, um, what we're going to get at him. But another play I want to see, I mean, I'm going to go back to the, the 2019 draft class. I mean, I think we need to see Trayvon Mullen, right? You know, he's was out for so long. Last year he got hurt, you know, was gone for a while, came back, played that one game, then was back out. Late offseason, had the foot surgery. You know, we don't really know what, what they've got there with him. I, I would like to see him on Friday, and it, it – if he can go out there and play and play pretty well, that would be nice to see going into the season. Yeah, at the very worst, he should be a piece of the puzzle. So I think definitely he has the skills. He's made some plays over the years. So, yeah, to see him play and play well and, and show he's healthy, definitely be a big boost to uh, to the roster. Yeah, I'd imagine he get a lot of playing time too just because he needs conditioning. He needs to get some, you know, all those reps he, he missed too. So, yeah, it'd be good to see Mullen play well in, in the new scheme. Yeah, we've seen all the other. I think last week he didn't play just because he is coming so quick off of his first practices back. But we've seen pretty much all the other projected starters in the secondary play in the preseason. So I don't think he's off limits or anything of that nature. So, yeah, as as you guys are saying, might as well get him out there and see how he's looking, you know, kind of in that that cornerback rotation. Because it'll be interesting how how that shakes out. I kind of thought always, you know, is when Mullen gets back, he's going to be a starter. But, um, you know, Rocky Sin is there. You know, Anthony Everett is also pushing for a starting spot. And, you know, they've also started to play Nate Hobbs more outside under this regime. And so they have a few options there. So it's definitely not anything that's guaranteed for him. Like if he's not looking like himself or not holding up well, then they have other options they can turn to instead. You know, even if it is something where like he, you know, starts off the season as a backup and then, you know, once he's back to himself, becomes a starter later on. Yeah, he's definitely somebody that's, you know, kind of in a proven year along with others like, you know, Josh Jacobs and, and Jonathan Abram and, and et cetera. Yeah, I mean, you figure Yassin and, and Averett are both the guys that this regime brought in. So we, we always talk about with, with new regimes is they tend to favor the guys that they brought in. So it would not surprise me at all if that's who they view as their starting cornerbacks. And especially with, with what his injury history, not just in this last year, but just kind of overall has been, it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of view him as a high upside number three, you know, a guy that like we've seen stuff out of. Um, and if we need, when we need him, if we need him, um, can, can, can play and play well for us. But I wouldn't be surprised if they're not really counting on him as a starter. Yeah, but also, I mean, Patrick Graham, he's been a guy that 
sure Ted knows better than I. Like he uses a lot of heavy defense, defensive back sets with, you know, six or seven DBs out there in certain situations. Um, and in the division that they're in going against these other quarterbacks, like going to have to, they're going to need as many defensive backs on the field as they can get, uh, I'm sure, to slow down some of these passing attacks. And so we might see situations where, you know, all those guys are out there. And if he is a number three or whoever the number three is, they're probably going to play more than the typical, you know, number three outside corner would. I mean, corner depth is so important in today's league. You know, just even if he starts as a backup, he's going to be a part of this team. Anybody else you guys are uh, going to have your eye on on Friday night besides the uh, the clock winding down to zero? Jonathan Abram, I think he played a lot in the last game. It's all about the 2019 draft class. Yeah, he played played the first half. Um, He had a pick six today against the Patriots, making making plays out there. Was it in deep coverage? Well, I mean, that's what it's going to be in the preseason. No, just kidding. That's, that's what it's going to be in the preseason games. Yeah, it was uh, a, a role for him uh, as a pass yeah. rusher. I think it's like you know the box, maybe like nickel linebacker. So I don't know how big a role it'll be, but he'll have a chance to make some plays. I will say something that I guess we're technically not supposed to say this, but fuck it. Uh, I mean, like when they when they do put Nate Hobbs like outside instead of in a nickel, I've noticed instead of bringing in like another cornerback to fill in for Hobbs, they'll put a safety as like the slot defender. Sometimes and so like I've I've seen Abram doing that along with uh, Merrick and so and they've done that in games too so whatever to sue me um, but like you know maybe that's his role is, is that's kind of a, it's keeping him closer to the line of scrimmage so he's not having to do those deep safety roles so maybe if he can be like a box guy a blitzer a slot defender he can I think that position is going to be rotational I don't see either him or Harmon being like the guy at strong safety I don't think either one of them are good enough to be the guy at strong safety so. I think depending on the situation, those guys are going to kind of like rotate in and out based on the, based on what's going on. How much do we trust Abram covering like a shifty slot receiver, though? I mean, some teams some teams have have, have gone more yeah, into the bigger like doing slots, those big yeah. big slot defender guys. So it's just doable, I think. There will be a time in Jonathan Abram's career in which he is listed at linebacker. Not maybe not with this team, but some team he will be listed as a linebacker at some point in his career. He's got to gain like ten pounds. He's just he's not like the the biggest guy, even though as physical as he is, like his style, like he's not like built like Mark Barron or anything like that. So it's kind of, that's why I mean, like, you look so at like the, the 49ers, all of their, almost all of their linebackers are guys they drafted that were college safeties and, and they just turned them into linebackers. He, he will be a linebacker in this. Got to get him eating more, get him back in that, that, uh, that dino hall they got that we never use. Get it, get him on four days, four meals a day. So he gets a little bigger. I was going to say, I was going to add both rookie linebackers. You got uh, Butler and Masterson. Are there really going to be two spots for both those guys? Are they competing? Against each other, I'm curious how that one shakes up. Butler played really well against Miami too, in, in pass coverage too. You know, showed a lot of good instincts, played play action pretty well. If he gets cut, he, I think he's going to get picked up by somebody. Four linebackers seems a little slim. That's why I'm thinking it's going to be five. Because even if you are a heavy nickel team, just like shit happens. You know, it's like four is the eh. unless you just you know think Abram is your fifth linebacker or something like that. I guess because they only I think they only played two linebackers against the. Uh, the Dolphins. Um, so I guess it's possible to just carry forward, but it seems a little a little tight. I think you carry Abram as your fifth linebacker and you're doing another safety or, or another DB. But um, Masterson's look good. I think Masterson's a guy you can tell McDowell's really likes the way he talks about him, just the whole he's really bought into him. So ideally you get him, I guess, your practice squad. And maybe if you're not sure you, you get this get claimed, you have a spot for him. So I think that's both those guys have done well for themselves though, in terms of uh, impressing the new coaching staff. All righty, guys. I think that'll wrap up this week's episode of State of the Nation. Final preseason game is Friday night. Legion Stadium against the Patriots. And 
By the time we come to you guys next, uh, we'll have a 53-man roster set, um, an initial 53-man roster, and we'll see what other moves the Raiders are able to make from there. Uh, you would expect they'd be pretty active, at least in scouring the waiver wire, you know, trying to make claims, maybe making some claims, um, and uh, we'll see what they can add uh, maybe on the offensive line before uh, the season gets going. But uh, one more preseason game to evaluate the, uh, the 80 men that are currently on this team, and uh, we'll see who's still around next time we come to you. All right, Joe. All right. Later, guys. Adios. I think there's a little bit of a warm sensation on his bum right now, probably, I think. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.